And while they're making their way out to the classes, I want to say welcome to y'all. Good morning. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so glad that you could join us uh, this morning. Thank you for, for being here. Um, one of the things I want to draw your attention to before we begin is uh, we are in um, the sermon, uh, sermon series. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And along the way um, with sermon series, one of the things that we've been doing at Ignite now is um, creating uh, a series handout. And uh, for different chunks of, of scripture through the Gospel of Matthew, we have different series handouts. And so our new one is out uh, today. Um, this is, if you want to go a little bit deeper, understand a little bit more what we're going to be talking about, some background information, some things to think on. This is really, really, really helpful. Pastor Chase and his team, um, Aaron and, and, uh, and uh, Wyatt, have been working hard on this. And it's just a really, really incredible resource. This is available at the welcome table. Um, on the way out, it's also available in a digital form uh, on our website. So um, there's just really, really great material here. I'm really excited uh, that this is available to you. So make sure you pick one up because it's going to help you on your walk uh, with Jesus. Uh, we are uh, continuing in our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're going to change gears a little bit. So the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is a disciple of, of Jesus. He's writing about Jesus' account. Matthew writes uh, his, his scriptures, um, they, they kind of get categorized, they get chunked up together. So the first four chapters of Matthew are all about how Jesus is the fulfillment of promises made long ago. That, that God made promises that he was going to send someone who was going to be God in the flesh, who was, going to, who was going to save people from their sins, who was going to be the ruler and authority of the world, and that all these different promises that were made throughout the first two-thirds of the Bible, um, all of those things are yes in Jesus, so that he's the fulfillment of promises. And the first four chapters is all about how Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophecies. And we see how he's the savior of the world, he's God in the flesh, and he's our king. And we have to remember that he's our king. We talked about that last week. He is a king, and he is the king above all kings. And he has authority, and he has law, and he has rule, and he has reign. But he also does so with a steady hand full of justice and mercy and kindness. He's an incredible king, and Jesus is our king. And so we have to understand that And all kings have kingdoms. And Jesus is no exception. He has a kingdom. It is the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven is uh, the value system and the way that the kingdom of heaven operates is contrary to the kingdoms of our world. Um, the kingdom of heaven is vastly different than the kingdoms of our world, the, the different principalities and rulers and authorities, and anything that we see in this world that has um, things that are good, right, noble, and just what they're doing is borrowing principles and borrowing things from the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. We're going to be talking about that um, over the next few weeks. And so we're going to be, in this next phase of, of the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in chapters 5 through 7. And we're going to, this is going to take us till a little bit after Thanksgiving. And so we're going to be focusing on Jesus', uh, probably his most famous sermon. It was recorded. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 through 7 in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus gives this sermon uh, to a bunch of people. And so we're going to be studying the Sermon on the Mount over the next uh, few months. And so we're, we're really excited about diving into that. If you have a Bible, and in and, and your Bible, sometimes Bibles will have like Jesus' words are in red. 
um, like in the color red. Um, what you're going to see is that in Matthew 5 through 7, it's like all red. Okay, it's Jesus speaking. It's, a, it's his sermon that he's, that he's giving to us. And so um, with being a part of the kingdom, he's going to teach a lot about his authority, but also what the kingdom of God is like. And what the kingdom of God is like is incredible, but it also comes with unique blessings, even though we live counterculture to what we have been experiencing. And so with that comes God's blessing, but God's blessings come by living God's way. God's blessings come by living God's way. God, as we walk with God, he will, he will bless us as we walk with him, okay? There's, there's unique blessing that comes with walking with Jesus. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about today as we start uh, Matthew uh, 5. Um, and we're gonna talk about blessing. Today we're, gonna, we're talking a lot about blessing. And so we're gonna need to figure out what does blessing mean? What does it mean to be blessed? And the Bible, uh, what we see is, is kind of this two-part definition of what blessing means. Number one, blessing means a state of happiness. It's a state of happiness and contentment by being in communion with God, okay? By being at peace with God, by being in relationship and community with God, to be able to rest and sit in his presence, there's a state of happiness that comes with that. And that is one part of being blessed. So the first part about being blessed is just being. Like when, we are, when we're blessed, it's something that's bestowed upon us. We are at a state of happiness and contentment in the presence of God. The other part of a blessing, what we see in the scriptures, is that a blessing um, comes with it a responsibility. That God wants his blessing to rest with everyone and he will use human beings to bring that blessing to other people. And so while we get this state of happiness and contentment in the Lord, there's also a responsibility that we will share that blessing with other people. We are blessed to be a blessing to other people. So, so it's the state of being and then the act of doing um, that comes with uh, the blessing of God. And so what we're going to see is, is how God does this. And that if we're going to live God's way, if we're going to live God's way, if God's blessing comes by living God's way, God's way, when we, when we want to live that way, there's a couple things. We need to recognize some things, and then we need to respond. So if we're going to live God's way, we have to recognize that God is God, and we are not. And I know that like people are like, okay, yeah, I get that. But in every facet of your life, God knows better than you. And in every area and facet of your life, God knows better than me. And in every facet of our life, God has something to say about how we are to live. So first off, we have to recognize that God is the authority in our life and not us. And that, and that from that recognition, then we respond. So we go, okay, you're God. That was really difficult, but the reality is you're God and I'm gonna walk, and I'm gonna follow you. So this, this recognition and response that we're gonna see uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're gonna start in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter five, starting in verse one. Seeing the crowds, he, being Jesus, went up on the mountain, and, went, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Okay, so this sermon is called the Sermon on the Mount. The reason why is because it's a sermon on a mount, Okay. Um, it is, he went up on a mountain. So it's not just like, people are like, what are we going to call it? I don't know. Where was he sitting? 
They're like, okay, we'll go with that. So it's the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he's in the northern region. He's up in Galilee, so he's in the northern part of Israel. He's up that way. He's been healing people. He's been ministering to people, and people have started to gather, and people bring in, and his fame is spreading. And so there's this gathering of people in Galilee who are coming to see Jesus and seeing the crowds. He goes up on a mountainside, and he sits down. That is an important thing to know, that Jesus sits down, okay? Uh, the, don't miss that, because that's really important. Because the reason is this. In, in Middle Eastern culture and in Bible times and in this area in Jewish culture, the teacher was the one who sat, okay? So when, when you sit down in a, in a group of things, when you sit down, what you're saying is, I'm assuming a place of authority in this spot. I am going to teach you, which is very different than what, like, you guys are all sitting and I'm standing, right? So, like, if someone gets up here and stands, we go, oh, they must have something to say. When someone in this culture would sit down, they're like, oh, he's got something to say. And so we have to understand that Jesus is not a victim of circumstances. Jesus wasn't doing a whole bunch of really cool things and then went, oh, I suppose I better say something. Jesus is always intentional and he's always purposeful. He's not, he's not an accidental savior. He knows exactly who he is and it's, it's not made up by other people. Jesus knows who he is. And I think sometimes in our culture, we think that Jesus was a good guy that somehow got thrust into a spotlight that he wasn't prepared for which is totally the opposite of what we see in the scriptures. That Jesus sits down means that he's assuming a place of authority. He's very intentional about that, and he's about to speak. And his disciples come to him, and they are ready to listen. And this is what Jesus will say, starting in verse two. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are, those, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, or pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What's incredible about this is this is a sermon. Now, I've, been, I've, been, have, I've had the blessing of being able to preach sermons now for about 15-ish years, okay? So I've been preaching for a while. And in all my time, in all my sermon prep, and all the things, this is not how I start sermons. Like, the, like, when you open your mouth, and the first thing you're like, blessed when you're poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the, are the meek. I, I've, I've never opened a sermon that way, and probably maybe I should sometimes, right? Because, hey, if Jesus did it, probably should some, be something we should pay attention to as preachers. Um, but he says, blessed are you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This section, if you, have a, if you have a Bible in front of you, this section is called the Beatitudes. Um, just so you know, the word Beatitude is the Latin word for blessing. So if you see that word up there and you're like, what does beatitude mean? It means blessing, okay? I didn't know that. I just saw that. I grew up in church and I saw that a lot and I was like, oh, what does that mean? People are like, oh. So I just thought I'd share that with you because it means blessing. 
But this is an odd list of blessing. If we talked about a state of happiness and communion with God and ability to share this with others, like if you're talking about being blessed, right? Someone, if you walked up to someone and said, hey, how are you doing? And they said, hey, I'm blessed, you know, what would we think? Well, things are going well for you, right? If you're living a blessed life, you know, everything's clicking on all cylinders, you're, you're ready to go, things are happening, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm living this blessed life, I'm just really, really blessed. Rarely do we say, how are you doing? Oh man, I'm so blessed, I'm just poor in spirit, so blessed right now. I'm hungering and I'm thirsting, hashtag blessed, right? Like we, we don't do that, like we, 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 don't live, we don't think about like a blessed life being hungry and thirsty or being poor in spirit or being meek or being pure in heart. We don't, we don't think about that as being blessed lives because what we see though is the value of the kingdom, Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to be humble. It's to recognize that your spiritual condition is broken. That you are bankrupt spiritually without God. And God says, the best place that you can be, what's a really, really blessed place to be, is when you recognize that you're bankrupt without me. We talk about, you know, the the first step is admitting you have a problem. Right? The first, the first blessing that we see is admitting that we have a problem, that we are poor in spirit. And Jesus says, you are going to be in a happy spot because you recognize that. You're going to be in community with me because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Who gets the kingdom of heaven? Those who are poor in spirit. Not people who puff themselves up and think that they have all the answers and they have it all together and that God is somehow lucky to have them. Right? Like, I'm here, you're welcome, right? Like, that's, God's like, hmm, yeah, uh, we need to talk about that. He says, blessed are you, happy are you when you're poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are you when things break your heart. When you've loved well, and when you see what's happening in the world, and you see the brokenness and the decay, and it it causes you to break, and it causes you to mourn. God says, happy are you, blessed are you when you mourn, because you will be comforted by me. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Um, Meek uh, means to be, uh, it's, it's strength under control, okay? If someone is meek, they're not exhibiting the full force of their, of their strength upon you. Or if they are, they're doing it in a way that is, that is masterful. I think about, like, when, when we think about um, the meek, um, the, the Greek word for, for meek that is translated in this, sometimes we think about a horse that has been properly trained and broken, like tremendously strong yet under control. Um, I think about it like if you ever grew up like wrestling with like not the sport but like wrestling with like your dad or your uncle or something. Somebody's like clearly stronger than you and you're six and you think you own the world, right? And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm doing so well right now. I totally got you. And they're standing there going, yeah, the, yeah, wow, look how strong you are. Yeah, look at you. And just kind of holding you with their hand, right? No, I, I'm really, I'm, I almost felt your hand twitch that time. I must be must be so strong. You are so strong, buddy. You're so strong. Right? That person is meek. They're not exhibiting their full force on that person because they're, they have a self-control and they understand that they're going to use their strength to be helpful to others. They said, blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Righteousness isn't just about doing the right things. It's about having the right relationship. It's being in good standing. If we have a righteous relationship, we are at peace with one another. And they said, if you are hungering and you are thirsting for righteousness, if you are hungry to do the right things, if you are hungry to be in right relationship with God, if you are thirsting after those things, he said, blessed are you when you're hungry and you're thirsty, for you will be satisfied. If you long for a a, a right relationship with God, you will be satisfied because God will give that to you. If you're thirsting after those things, he says, you shall be satisfied If you're hungering and thirsting after sin, you will never, ever, ever be satisfied. Ever. Giving in to sin doesn't satisfy anything. It only weakens your resolve. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To be pure in heart, how does someone get a pure heart? It's not by doing a bunch of good things and somehow God is going to, you know, that that God has to give you, you know, just a, a pure heart. A pure heart comes from God. Give me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Psalm 51. A pure heart has to be given to us because we can't create it on our own. We need a heart transplant. And so when we we say, God, would you give me a pure heart? Would you give me a heart that chases after you? Would you give me that? Would you be so kind to give me a new heart? In those moments, we encounter God in a special way for you shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. I love this because we often mess this one up especially in the Midwest. It is not blessed are the peacekeepers. It's blessed are the peacemakers. Peacekeepers, if you're a peacekeeper, which I am, honestly, by default, I like to keep the peace. And so what happens is, is I will shove things under the rug or I'll bury things deep and not deal with them and think that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm somehow honoring God. Not dealing with anything in my heart, just pretending like it didn't happen. It's one thing to overlook an offense and, a, and, and forgive someone. It's another thing to just bury things deep, right? And we're Midwesterners, so if we can't dig deep in the ground because of the frost, we'll go deep into our heart, right? Like that's where we'll just, we've got to bury something somewhere, right? Peacekeepers are the people that just sweep things under the rug. Peacemakers, peacemakers will step into conflict when necessary. I'm going to go and actively make peace. To to be a peacemaker is to step into those conflicts and say, let's talk about this. Let's deal with this. Let's let's work this out. And maybe, maybe sometimes peacemaking is overlooking offense, which means you've actively pursued it with God in your heart and saying, God, help me forgive this person. I'm going to move forward with it, but I need to forgive them because otherwise bitterness grows in my heart. I'm gonna make peace with that person in my heart with you. And sometimes making the peace means you have to step up and have difficult conversations. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus made peace with us 
by way of the cross. He made peace. He didn't, he didn't just like pretend like it didn't happen. Jesus made peace by way of the cross. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed when you're persecuted? Why? Because we live in a world that's counter to the kingdom of God. And when those two kingdoms come head to head, sparks fly. And you, there's a chance that you'll be persecuted because of your faith. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you, happy are you when people revile you. When people, when, when people are actively against you, when they spew hatred towards you, when they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of Jesus, blessed are you, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. I remember a pastor telling me about this, and he said, Steve, anytime somebody reviles you for the name of Jesus, um, he said, something that's always helped me is I just think of this sound, cha-ching. <laughs> Cash registers used to make that sound. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but that was actually a thing. Now we swipe and then we turn the iPad the other way, right? And just sound with your finger. Um, but they used to make a noise. And that noise was cha-ching because it was a transaction that was happening. I gave you something, I got something in return. And he says, when you are persecuted, when you are reviled, you are receiving a reward in heaven. And I will tell you this right now, heaven and eternity are a lot longer than this life. A lot longer than this life. And so often we get caught up with what's happening in the here and the now that we forget that heaven is eternal and our reward is great. And with the right perspective, will it still hurt when you're reviled? Yes. It doesn't take the pain away, but we understand now that the pain is purposeful. And, it's, and it never goes unnoticed. Just no, it never goes unnoticed. But what a strange way to start a sermon. What a strange way to talk about blessing. What does it mean that I'm happy when I'm poor and, and happy when I mourn and happy when I'm meek and happy when I'm hungry and happy when I'm merciful and happy when I'm pure of heart and peacemaking? All? I'm happy in those moments? Why? Because remember, the, the definition of being blessed is that state of happiness of communing with God. And what I think is really incredible about our God is that he comes to us. We don't work our way to him. He actually comes to us. And he comes to us at times when things look bleak and dark. What an incredible God that we have. Um, we all have friends here. Well, you guys have friends. Um, just kidding, I've, I've had a friend once, it was really cool. Um, so we've all had friends, right? And we love hanging out with each other and we love, you know, and we build friendships by spending time together and, and, and all those kinds of things. But then there's those friends that are close with us, right? They're tight-knit friends. And one of the ways that we become tight-knit as friends and tight-knit in our relationships is when we go through hard things together. It's when times are dark and our friends still show up that that relationship starts to fuse together, right? We go, I got through this and they were with me the entire way. 
They were with me when no one else was. They were present, and made, they, they made themselves available when I was hurting. And I am so thankful for those friends. I'm so blessed to have those friends. So blessed to have those friends. And Jesus is a friend of sinners. And he's with us. Why are we blessed? Because he's with us even in the dark times. Jesus doesn't just check out and say, hey, when this is over, give me a call. If there's anything I can do. Jesus is present with us when we mourn, when we are reviled, when we are trying to make peace. Have you ever tried to do that? So that's hard work. Peacemaking's hard work. He's present with us in the struggle. He's present with us when we're merciful. He's present with us when we are pure in heart. He's present. Yes, we are blessed in these difficult times. Why? Because God is with us in those times. It's where we experience his grace and these comforts that come with it. We'll be comforted. We'll receive the kingdom of heaven. We'll inherit the earth. We'll be satisfied. We'll receive mercy. We'll see God. We'll get adopted as sons of God. We will uh, get the kingdom of heaven as an inheritance. Uh, We will be rewarded in heaven greatly. Why are we blessed? Because we have a God who meets us in our hard places and in our dark places. Don't miss out on that. That's unique to being a follower of Jesus. And that is so kind of God that he would bind up the brokenhearted and meet us in the dark places. We are blessed indeed. He would go on and say, you are salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we have this state of being blessed, right? We are blessed. We are a state of happiness by communing with God even in difficult things. So we are blessed in our state of being, and that leads us to doing, right? I love this, because you know what it is? It's encounter God, impact the world. We're blessed with an encounter with God, and we go out. So he says, you are blessed in your state of being, now go and do. And he says, you are salt and you are light, I don't know if you've been around church people before, but maybe you've heard that phrase before where somebody says, you know, we just gotta be salt and light. That's what we gotta be. We gotta be salt and light. If you've heard that before and had no idea what they were talking about, um, that's where where they get that that phrase from these verses right here. To be salt and to be light. So we're gonna talk about these things because they're Jesus' sermon illustration. We're gonna be your salt of the earth. um, Salt. It's a very interesting thing. Salt does a lot of things in our life. It seasons things, it it preserves things, it enhances things, it permeates things. When we use salt, we use it to enhance flavor, we use it to preserve, we use it to to, uh, accommodate, we use it to uh, season things. And and, and salt 
um, is good on every kind of food. Like it's used properly, it's good with every, like sweet foods, savory foods, right? You can salt things and it actually enhances the flavor. Sometimes you can't even taste the salt, but what you can taste is a, is a more enhanced flavor. I know this because I watch a lot of cooking shows. So much fun. Great. I love them. Um, but what we see with, with salt is like he says, okay, so that means that we are salt. It says you are the salt of the earth. Which means the gospel message, the message of Jesus, which resides in us and through our actions, we become salt. Which means we are to season every situation. Just like salt is available for every different thing. The gospel message is pertinent and available and relevant for every situation of life. The message of Jesus is, is about bringing, enhancing the flavor. It's about, it's about preserving. It's about uh, even a little bit can go a long way. Don't be discouraged by, by you seeming insignificant. Don't be discouraged by you thinking, well, I'm just doing a little bit. Well, salt, if you just use a little salt, sometimes it goes a really, really long way and does really incredible things. Don't underestimate the gospel impact you can have by bringing the salt of the gospel into people's lives. Now, I will say this, just as your pastor, because I love you. Um, don't try to shoehorn Jesus into everything. Let me say that this way. In the, use it appropriately. So if you're like, oh man, what are you doing today? Well, I'm going on a walk. You know Jesus walked on the water. Um, Okay, um, that sounded really neat. Yeah, that's what his disciples said, really, really neat. That's what they said. Um, do you wanna give your life to Jesus now? Um, what? Um, right, sometimes I think we, try, we do the thing called like a Jesus juke. We try to like, and Jesus, right? You know, like we like try to wedge it in there. Like somehow we now checked it off our list and now we're good Christians, right? I said Jesus, boom. They don't get it, it's their problem, right? Um, he says, listen, salt your situations. Use it wisely. Talk about, yes, absolutely. Bring your faith into conversations for sure. But do it in such a way that's wise. And that to, 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 to sprinkle it out. To, I think as followers of Jesus, I think we do a, a great amount of impact when we're spread out. Um, our gatherings together are great and wonderful, and I love them. We want to encourage you. We want to encourage one another. We want to remind each other of truth. We want to be equipped to do ministry. But then we are to scatter, and we're going to go out. Like, if you ever salt food, and you're just like, I'm going to pile it in one spot. Um, that doesn't do a lot of good, but spread out. And the gospel is to spread out throughout all the world. It says, you're the salt of the earth. But if we lose our saltiness, then what are we? If we, if we, abandon, if we abandon gospel truth, if we abandon the message of Jesus and we're going to rely on our own wisdom and we're going to rely on self-help, you become useless to the kingdom. And we don't become very effective with our friends either because let's be honest, there are millions of self-help books out there that can say it better than you. There's a ton of self-help books out there with worldly wisdom that can say it more eloquently than you or me. But where we're going to be different is when we speak the truth of Jesus into situations. And it's the message of Jesus, not our own wit or wisdom. It's going to be the wisdom and the knowledge of God that's really going to change people's lives. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on a stand and give it light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Um, Jesus is the light of the world. He will give us his light, which will reside in us. We don't have to create light. We are given light from the Father. And all we have to do is just let that light shine. And so our life, let's just work on removing obstacles so that people couldn't, that if it blocks people's view of the light with our own sin, let's work on that so that people can see Jesus. Not so that they can think we're great. But he says, you don't put a light in somewhere and then put a basket over the top of it. He says, no, we just let our light shine. Which means, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be noticed. When we live our lives in such a way that is in obedience and walking with Jesus, it's going to be noticed. Because nowhere does the, does the world espouse to the things that we've talked about, about being blessing. When was the last time you heard a podcast or a talk show host or a news network or whatever it is that you are um, tapping into or whatever, you know, to go, you know what we really need? We need more pure of heart. We need more self-control. You know, we need, we need humility, like real humility. You don't hear people saying, what we desire is purity. And so if you're asking God to give you those things, you're, it's going to stand out. That light will shine. Now, for some people, that will expose things in their own life because that's what light does. It exposes things. And so if, you, if someone has things in their life and suddenly the light that is in you exposes some sin in their life, they might not like it. And they might persecute you for it and they might try to shut the light off. But for others, it's gonna be a beacon of hope as people are tossed about by the wind and the storms of this world. And some people are gonna be like, I just need something to hold on to and I don't know what the answer is, but I know this person. And I know that person walks with God and I just have questions. Sometimes you're gonna be a beacon of hope. And I'll tell you this, to be a beacon of hope and have someone come up to you and you get to point them to Jesus is worth all the reviling in the world. All the times I've been made fun of for walking with Jesus are nothing compared to pointing people to Jesus. It's worth it. Blessing, God's blessings come by living God's way, by recognizing who God is, to respond to him, to walk with him. And if we're walking away from God, if we walk away from him, what we're walking away from is we're walking away from communion with him. We're walking away from a chance to be with him and in his presence and to be blessed just by being there. And so we wanna keep in step with him and where he leads, we follow. Why? Because we enjoy the blessing of being with our God. And to walk away from God means to walk away from potential blessings that we could receive if we would just be walking with him. And for you, some of you in here today, and you're like, I've walked a long way from God. Would he ever welcome me back? And the answer is, if you are poor in spirit, if you humble yourself, if you are hungry and thirsty, he will satisfy doesn't matter how far you've walked. 
If you've walked so ridiculously far from God and you're like, I hunger for him again. I thirst for that community. I, I understand that I've walked my own way and I'm so tired of it. And you repent, which means you turn around, you turn your way of thinking. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst because I'll satisfy. Blessed are the poor in spirit for there's the kingdom of heaven. You're not too far from God. Jesus, by way of the cross, made peace between you and I, eliminating the hostility and bringing us back together, reconciling to us. That is how great our God is. And that is why we are indeed blessed. Let's pray.